We're going to continue our series on stewardship today. We're going to talk about what it means to steward the intellectual property God gives us as well as our material possessions. So turn with me over to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 11. Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. The title of this message is Stewardship, Our Possessions. Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. Moses is speaking to the second generation, the people who are the sons and daughters of those who were the elders and adults that came out of Egypt. And he says in verse 11, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am give, commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds, verse 13, and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 15, he led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness he fed you with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Verse 17. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, verse 18, for it is he who has given you power to make wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your forefathers as it is this day. Lord, help us as we study. Deuteronomy is the book that's described as entitled Second Law Giving. Dude means second, know me law, second giving of the law. And so Moses is trying to articulate to the second generation everything they need to know so that they don't make the mistakes that the first generation did. And in his articulation which is absolutely necessary. I mean, he's trying to lay the groundwork for them to be successful. He says things which seem to be some of the saddest words I've ever read in Scripture. Don't forget God. Now, that's a good exhortation. But why is it needed? I mean, there's some stuff you just shouldn't need to be reminded of. Like, you who are married, that you are. <laughs> Do you need to be reminded every day you are married? This ring is not for me, it's for everybody else to know. Amen. Do you need to be reminded that you are employed and that you have to get up and go to work tomorrow? Do you need somebody to call you and remind you every day, hey, time to go to work, time to go to work. Some stuff you just shouldn't need to be reminded of. It just ought to come natural. Why in the world should we ever be put in a position where somebody's got to tell us, remember God, don't forget, has he not been good enough to you? Has he not provided for you well enough? Has he not saved you enough? Has he not forgiven you enough? Why do we need to be told, remember him and don't forget? Something's wrong with us. It needs repair on the inside. These people needed to be told, don't forget. And Moses gives them 
some props that will help them remember. Number one, he says, remember God through the commands, the ordinances, and the statutes. Secondly, remember his power and how he provided for you when, the, when you went through the wilderness. And thirdly, remember the purpose for which he put you on the planet. Every time you're in an opportunity to give, remember that this is why, or better yet, every time you're in an opportunity to receive, remember that the resources he's given you are those which are to be used for the ratification and confirmation of his covenant in the earth. It's just not to make you happy or comfortable. It's so that he might establish something through you that he produced in you so that you do not just become a reservoir but a river. Reservoirs have input but no outgo. Rivers have input and outgo. He says you have to remember, you have to recognize, and you've got to understand you're, you're there to ratify. Remember God. And he says remember him not just through mental assent. He's not looking for someone just to have three-by-five cards or a prompt like in Google Calendar that reminds you this is an appointment you have today. You must remember God and his goodness. He's saying remember by doing, not by thinking. Remember him by obeying his commands, his ordinances, and his statutes. Now, many times, these three words can be used as synonyms, synonymously, and sometimes we interchange them, and usually there's nothing wrong with that. But in this particular reference, they are not synonyms. They are actually distinct regulations that God put in place for the people of Israel so that they would understand what to do in what circumstance. So when he talks about the law, he's talking about that immutable and unending thing called the Ten Commandments. These Ten Commandments never need to be changed, and they will never stop working as long as man is on the planet. They work in every society and will work always. There is not a place where do not commit adultery isn't relevant. There's not a place where do not steal isn't relevant. There's not a place where do not murder isn't relevant. These laws ought to be those which we hold dear and love. As Christians, we are not judged by the law anymore. God has already pinned that to the cross. And as a result of him being, meaning Jesus, being the punishment for our sin, we no longer have to suffer for our own misdeeds. So we are not judged by the law anymore. But because we are not judged, it does not mean we can live above it. We need to use them as guide marks, as landmarks, so that we can live right and understand the best thing to do. So we need to hold on to those. And many of you don't even know what they are. I mean, you know the, you know the, the big ones. The ones I said, don't murder, don't commit adultery. But did you know it said do not covet? And if you did know it said do not covet, do you know what that is? <laughs> do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do not make any graven images. Have no other gods before me. Observe the Sabbath. And what these things mean, these are the Ten Commandments that work. They work every place and for all ways. Hold on to them. Know them. Love them. Embrace them. Secondly, there are ordinances. Ordinances are those which are rules and regulations derived from the law, but through the judicial system. So they weren't in the beginning, but they came as a result of circumstances that required a judge or an adjudication system to develop a rule whereby other people knew exactly what to do in a similar circumstance. So there was a guy named 
Let me see if I get his name right. Zelophehad. And Zelophehad, in Numbers 27, passed away. In his passing, he left five daughters, no sons. The rule in Israel, as it was in every society, was that the inheritance would always be passed through the male, uh, uh, male child. Since Zelophehad had no male children, the next rule was that it would be passed on to his oldest surviving siblings that were male. So his brothers would get the inheritance. In Israel, when they came into the promised land, they each had a piece of the promised land, an inheritance portion. And that inheritance portion was passed down from one generation to another. If you did not live in a city, that land could never be sold. It was a family's right. If you lived in a city and you bought land, then it could be bartered and, and sold again. But if, if it was a part of the inheritance that you received as a result of being an Israelite and being born in this house, then you could not sell that land, nor could anybody in Israel buy it. It was to be as, 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 as long as eternal was on the planet, one generation after another. He said it was to be done usually through men. Now, that wasn't, that wasn't a, a misogynist statement. It's not that God was thinking that men do this better. He had to designate where does the inheritance lie so that there would be no confusion since the inheritance was to stay in a family. Who had what if a woman had inheritance and a man who got what? And then the families would feud. And so they always kept it through the man. Now, that was a pragmatic solution. But here we've got a man who dies. He has no sons, but he's got five daughters. Numbers 27. The daughters come to him and say, our dad wasn't a bad guy, though he passed with the prior generation in, in, in the wilderness. He wasn't a bad guy. He wasn't a rebel. He just died in his own sin. Now, he had no sons, but we five daughters are pretty competent. So we'd like you to consider us being the inheritors of his property. I know it's unusual, but we don't want this to go to our uncle. Moses went before God. God said, give them their property. That's a good thing. So here was a God. Here, here, here was God advocating for ladies. All the women said amen. amen. Yeah. See, see, you would think that a man would have thought that was a good idea already. But we're a little dense sometimes. So God has to help us. Moses had to go to God to figure out, should these ladies get something? And God said, yes, do that for them. So the ladies got it. But that became an ordinance whereby God said, if a man dies and he has daughters but no sons, then the property will always flow down to the daughters. That was an ordinance that was followed. These ordinances would then become law for people, but it wasn't like the ten. It was circumstantial. Everybody listen to me? Then there were statutes. Statutes were those things that were particular to a group of people or circumstance in that time period and could be changed if those people weren't in that circumstance or in that time period anymore. So you've got a rule in the Old Testament whereby God said, when you build a house, make sure you put a fence around the roof. Now, it was common for people to entertain folks in their homes. But sometimes their homes were too small, and so they would entertain on the roof. And sometimes their homes weren't near as hospitable, not in that the people were inhospitable, but the atmosphere wasn't, so they go on the roof, i.e., when Peter was visiting a friend of his named Simon. And Simon was a tanner in the book of Acts. And this is where Peter got his revelation about reaching the Gentiles, where the sheet came out of heaven and unclean things, and God said, get up and eat. He said, no, Lord, I've never done it. And that became the impetus for him now to think that Gentiles could actually come into the kingdom. It was a marvelous thing. But he got that insight on top of Simon's roof. And the reason he went on Simon's roof, although Simon was his buddy, 
Simon was a Christian, Simon was hosting him, was because Simon was a tanner. And a tanner was a guy who would make the, the hides of animals become leather rather than just skin. And it took a curing process. You had to treat the, the skin so that it actually became leather and pliable enough in order to be made into clothes. And the primary tool you would use to make that ha- happen was animal byproduct. I'm being euphemistic. It smelled terrible in Simon's house. Horrible. And so Peter said, I need some fresh air, bro. <laughs> I need some fresh air. And he went up on the roof. The roof is where people were hosted. So God said, I don't want anybody falling off the roof. So he made it a statute. Build a fence around the top of your house so nobody falls off the roof and dies. Now, that wouldn't work so well today because we have pitched roofs. Nobody's trying to host a party on their home, on the roof of their house, on top. And nobody stands up there. But if we were to be like many Christians are, saying the Bible says we need to build a fence around our roof. So when I build my house, I'm going to obey the Bible. Wait, 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 wait. You don't know why it was written. It's a statute, not a command. And you've got to know the difference or else you will begin to apply things from Scripture to your own life that have no relevance at all. Are you listening to me? And when you begin to go through the process of discerning what these things are, you see how God in particular cares for people in their own circumstance. It's not just that you get smarter about what he said. You say, how does the God of the universe have enough time to think that it's really important to put a roof and a fence around my roof on my house? Doesn't he have world issues to deal with? He's that particular. He cares about my parties. He cares about my parties. Are you with me? You learn something about God's care in particular about humanity that makes your heart just get big. Oh, I love you so much that you would even think about that. Moses said, remember him by doing these things. Now, let me give you an example It may not be very popular, but I think it's about as relevant as it can get, at least in our church world today. Over in in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul gives some exhortations regarding how women and men should dress and that their dress has implications on how they are received and can perform spiritual acts, how they're received by God and perform spiritual acts. He said women ought to have covering every time they pray and prophesy, and men should not. And he goes through and talks about the spiritual application that the head of every woman is a man and the head of every man is Christ and a woman ought to have covering and the covering represents the authority of the man, the whole works. Well, the interesting thing is this. You would think that Paul would have drawn from his Hebrew heritage in order to make that, that kind of practice a spiritual reality in Corinth, but he didn't because it was actually the opposite in the Hebrew world. The men wore coverings, the women did not. And so what Paul was doing was looking at the Gentile community in, in Corinth and saying, I understand how you all work. This is what you normally do. Women wear coverings, men don't. And I want you to know, I'm with that. And let me give you some spiritual application about why God can use this kind of thing and how it can have real spiritual import for you. And that every head of every man is Christ and head of every, every woman is a man. This is how this works. And, see, and so he brought spiritual impact to a natural circumstance. 
But it would be improper for us to transpose that, that exhortation into our world and say that now every woman has to wear a hat in order to be legitimate in church. Because he wasn't talking to us. He was talking to them who had this practice. And the practice of a woman wearing something different than a man was primarily to make sure that there was a distinguishing of the sexes in dress. Because everybody wore robes. There had to be some way to distinguish between a woman's dress and a man's dress. And so he said, what, you, you all, you're women, they wear coverings, so do that. You men, don't. Today it would be like, every man who stands up and preaches and prophesies ought not wear a skirt. Are, are, are you hearing me? Every, every woman ought not wear a coat and tie. Now, it might be that that could change if you go to Scotland where men wear skirts. Are you listening to me? You got to know why God said it rather than thinking, I got to wear a hat if you're a woman to be right. Now, having said that, I love hats. <laughs> wear them all day long. Just make sure everybody can see. Don't obstruct somebody's view. I love hats. <laughs> Beautiful are the hats. But you won't get any brownie points with God for wearing hats. Not here. This is why you have to understand why God said what he said. You got to read. Then you got you to get to know him. And then you got to read some more and get to know him better and read some more and get to know him better and read what other people said and get to know him better and live a little bit. And then you can begin to interpret what God said the way he meant to say it. When you do that, you understand him a little bit better. And when you begin to obey his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, there's something of, of a memory that kicks in beyond just the intellectual ascent to a historical moment. It's important that we obey in order to remember. Secondly, we need to remember his, his provision and his miraculous power. I mean, what he did for these Israelites is just astounding. He, he brought them out of Egypt. Egypt happened to be the most powerful nation in that region at that time. And he brought them out with, without a battle. They didn't have to, to lift a sword or, or wield a, a shield. They came out because God did something miraculous. And listen to me, you have come out from the world, not by your own might, but God did it all by himself. He sent his son on your behalf and delivered you from the bondage of the world so that you can live in victory every day and not have to be a slave to your own lusts and your own desires. It is miraculous. If you remember what you were like before, temptation was barely an issue because you just gave in. You didn't have to try to resist. You just did it. But now temptation is one of those things you're fighting against. And when you get victory, it's because the Holy Spirit and his word empowers you to act correctly, to get your heart right, to think right, and to respond well. He gives you victory. He has delivered you from this world. Though we are still in it, he has delivered you from it. You're no longer a part of it. And not only that, he, 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 he brought us out into this wilderness. Now, there's a promised land for us. And I'm doing everything I, I possibly can to make sure that I bring the kingdom of God to earth, not just try to get me to heaven. That's a prayer that Jesus prayed. Thy will be done on earth as it... Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Part of the Lord's prayer. 
So our job is to primarily, while we are here, bring kingdom reality here. Not for us just to try to get to the sweet by and by. Though the sweet by and by is sweet. I'm not trying to get there in a hurry. So I am in this wilderness environment. Doing what I can to build little oasis spots of his kingdom wherever I go. Jesus said this with respect to the understanding of the wilderness when the disciples were trying to figure out how to be ministers on their own. He said, I want you to know in Luke 10, 19, you, you people who love me and go out to minister, you will tread upon serpents and scorpions. That was a direct reference to the fact that God led the Israelites through the wilderness with serpents and scorpions. Things that they were afraid, afraid of back then. But Jesus said, don't be afraid of this world that is against you. Don't be afraid of this system that is going cross-grained to everything you believe. You will tread upon serpents and scorpions, and nothing by any means will harm you. There is a sense that we have given our life already, and that nothing can taint the born-again experience in our soul, and that we have been regenerated to God, and regardless of what happens to this flesh, we translate into glory so we can head into danger with full confidence. Are you listening to me? (laughs) here we've got God saying he led you through this wilderness and oh I've lived long enough to know that the world is full of danger and sometimes I step in it intentionally I'm not looking to try to start a fight I'm looking to try to extend God's love not looking to start a fight but there are times when the extension of God's love will require me to respond in the midst of conflict because some people will not like it They won't like the truth. I'm the guy who turns the light on in the party at 2 a.m. That's what I do. Everybody hates that guy. Please leave. So people get mad. And my goal is not to respond in kind, but to love them through the conflict so that I show something different because I don't care about my life. If I die tomorrow for him on on a hill that is worthy of of being sacrificed, I'm glad to give my life because I gave it to him 35 years or 30, whatever, 33 years ago. I gave it to him freely and I'm not taking it back. But until then, I realized that the power of the enemy has nothing on me. I tread upon serpents and scorpions. Everybody else fears what they have to go through, not me. I know my God protects me and cares for me. We have to remember that. That he is leading us through this wilderness of the sojourn, and we need fear nothing. And he fed you manna in the wilderness. Now, manna was his stuff. I don't know what it was, and neither do the the Israelites, because they named it this. Manna means, what is it? (laughs) They had no clue. But manna was his stuff. Remember, they they were nomadic people, so they, they couldn't farm. And there were two million of them. Two million, not to mention the animals. Two million folks as a traveling family, if you will. They had to eat. And how do you, how do you, go, on a, how do you go on a hunting raid, a, a, a hunting mission for two million people? You just can't do that. And they couldn't farm because they were nomadic. And so God had to provide for them. Every morning, there would be this stuff that would appear. And they'd go outside their tent, they'd take their little bowl, pick up as much as they could, bring it in, it'd be seeds, and then they'd grind it up and make flour and then make bread from that every morning. And it had nothing to do with the location in which they were. Because when they moved, the manna followed them. 
and wasn't in the place where they just came from. So wherever they moved, the manna followed them. And they just got up in the morning. Where are you going? I was going to the grocery store, but don't need to no more. Just going out the front yard, pick up some food. <laughs> and then if that wasn't enough, God, re- God brought in quail. Quail are little birds, and you got to eat a lot of them to get full. They're little tiny things. But it was meat because they couldn't find enough food to hunt. And he brought it in, I don't know, every day at 5 o'clock. Just quail would fly in at about three feet. And then just land saying, eat me, eat me. Now, I'm being, I'm being hyperbolic here, but how did that happen? And gave them meat every day. Can you imagine if, if chicken just flew into Grace Covenant every day at 5 o'clock? I mean, what would that be like? Baby, I'm going to church tonight. Why, they got a meeting? Oh, dinner, baby, dinner. <laughs> I don't know. This is how God provided for them. <laughs> how has God provided for you? What's he done for you? In, in the midst of furloughs and, and work stoppages and government shutdowns and recessions, what has he done for you? Just what, hasn't the manna just followed you? Hasn't it just followed you wherever you go? Doesn't matter where you wind up. The, the economy could be in the ditch, but you're doing all right. It's miraculous what God does. You got to remember. You have to remember his miraculous provision in the wilderness. And then he mentions water from a rock. I don't have time today, but that was really amazing. So Moses is saying, okay, let's, let's work this thing. You got to obey him. You got to do the law. You got to remember the ordinances. You got to follow the statutes. You got to remember his power. All of that, because when you get into the promised land, I want you to know something, that he has given you the information necessary by his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes. And he's given you the history necessary to prove that he is on your behalf. He works for you. He will provide for you. He'll produce miracles for you. He's given you all that so that you can produce something. The power to make wealth. That why? Why? Not just to make you happy. Not just to fill you up. Not just to make you content and comfortable. So that you can establish his covenant in the earth. That is why you are still here. And that is why he still provides for you. That you are a river, not a reservoir. Now, there's no question. We need to be the receptors of God's things. But when we receive them, what do we do? We shouldn't just hold on to them and be happy. Lord, you provided for me in my job. Thank you. Oh, Lord, you gave me a good man. Thank you. Oh, Lord, you've given me a good church. Thank you. Oh, Lord, you're giving me good money. I got a bank account now. Thank you, Lord. I'm, oh, listen, worship all that. Do it. Thank him. No, no, I'll say it differently. Worship him for all that. Honor him. Do what you need to do in that area. But remember, it's not about just you. He has given you this stuff so that you might somehow have a story and the resources necessary to establish his covenant in the earth, not only in your life, but in everybody who is in your sphere of influence. Are you listening to me? This is what it means to be a good steward of the information, the intellectual property, the history he's given you, as well as the present resources. We establish his covenant. You may not be a good preacher. You may not know all the scriptures, but you got a story. Please share it with somebody. What he's given you needs to go out. Don't just be a reservoir. Be a river. Let it come in and let it go out. I beg you, with all the finances, with all the material possessions, 
Enjoy it. It's not that you shouldn't. But remember, that is not exactly, that is not the only reason. That's not the end reason why he's given it to you. He wants to do something that, that has eternal benefit. Establishing something to make the world a better place in the Lord doesn't it need to be better. Don't we need better people every place? Less selfishness, more righteousness, more givers, more people who will self-sacrifice. Less folk who are always stepping on top of one, one another to get to the top. God loved this world so much that he gave his son. Let us love it the same way. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking for your grace and mercy. Help us, please, to live right and to honor you with all the information and resources you've given us.